0: Well, this looks like any old suburban home in Northern California, and it is, but in that garage back in 1976, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak started building computers and selling them, and they started a company called Apple. Have you ever heard of it? (laughs) And then in 1994, a guy by the name of Jeff Bezos quit his job because he had an idea to create an online bookstore. And working out of his garage with a little sign that I, I love, he started selling books. And then of course in 2004, in this Harvard dorm room, a guy by the name of Mark Zuckerberg alongside a few friends had an idea to build a social network to connect college students and they called it Facebook. Now, matter how you feel about those companies and their founders, we can all agree on something. They all started with very humble beginnings. The smallness of it didn't last long. Before long, they took off and they snowballed. So when we talk about the church and when we tell the story of the church, you have to understand that when you're reading the book of Acts, they started with 120 people in this upper room, their proverbial garage or dorm room, if you will. And the question I wanna ask today is how do you go from 120 to 2.2 billion? Because here's the thing, when you think about Facebook, you think about Amazon, you think about Apple, those movements make sense at some level. Like when you get really smart people with good ideas who are qualified, they can begin movements. You know what doesn't make any sense? The church. Like I would bet on Bezos, you know who I'm not betting on? Peter, the uneducated, ordinary man, fisherman who a few days earlier had denied Jesus three times. Now they're looking around this room like, I guess Peter's gonna be the one to get up there and speak. That's the best we got. Hey, the church doesn't make any sense. You know it doesn't make any sense? John, the, the, the known as the, the son of thunder who had this anger issue and would say things like, should I call fire down from heaven and have them destroyed? And then a little while later starts writing and and talking about Jesus in such a profound way that it turns the world upside down and he's known as the apostle of love. That doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make sense is that the church has undergone 2,000 years of criticism and critique. And let's be honest, we've made a ton of mistakes along the way, and yet we're still here. But what doesn't make sense is that in some parts of the world, it's illegal to meet together and proclaim the name of Jesus like we're doing right now. And in those places, revival is breaking out like crazy through the underground church. That doesn't make any sense. The more that I've read through the book of Acts and getting ready for this series, I've come to one conclusion. There is no natural explanation for the church. But there is a supernatural explanation for the church. And before we go any further in this series, we need to talk about what that supernatural explanation is. And so we're going to start in Acts chapter one and verse one. Start from the beginning, it's a great place to start, and read the first eight verses together. As we do, pay attention to the supernatural explanation for the church. Acts one, verse one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Let's pause there for a second. Acts is written by a guy named Luke and you may have heard that name before. He also wrote the gospel according to Luke. And so when you open up the book of Acts, you're actually um, opening up a sequel. And one of my challenges for you throughout the course of this series is to read both of Luke's works. Read the gospel according to Luke, and then read the book of Acts. If you read those two over the next few weeks, you'll understand the entire narrative of the New Testament. The the rest of the books are letters that were being written during the course of that story. Um, But Luke is saying, hey, uh, Theophilus, remember how I wrote that first one to you? Um, By the way, we don't know exactly who Theophilus was. Um, Lots of scholars just believe that he was a friend of Luke's, that he was um, interested in the church, but maybe a little skeptical about the church. And so Luke writes in great detail first, the gospel of Luke, everything that, it, that, what? that Jesus began to do and teach, and then he writes the book of Acts, which is all about the church. I love, by the way, that it says do and teach. Lots of people over the course of history have taught a lot of really good things. Hey, we didn't gather here today, you're not watching online today to worship a good teacher. Jesus didn't just teach, he practiced what he preached including saying, hey, I'm going to die and then be resurrected three days later and then he actually pulled it off, like we celebrated last week. The gospel according to Luke talks about everything that Jesus did and taught. Verse two says this, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the, here it is, Holy Spirit, if you write in your Bibles, underline those words, to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, by the way, Jesus was always eating. It's one of my favorite parts about Jesus. Always welcoming people to the table, but also always just enjoying a good meal. He's like Brad Pitt's character in Ocean's Eleven, just always eating something. And and by the way, notice this is Jesus post-resurrection in his resurrected body and he's still eating, which leads me to believe that, that enjoying good food is not just something for the here and now, it's also something that we're going to be experiencing and enjoying for all of eternity, just with renewed and restored taste buds. And I could go off on a whole tangent about that. I'm just saying, I'm excited to share meals with you all for the rest of eternity. Bible is good news. While he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, which was probably a little mysterious to them because back in Matthew 28, he tells them to go to the ends of the earth and go make disciples. And you're like, now, Jesus, now you're telling us not to leave Jerusalem? And he says, well, Ryan, you didn't let me finish my sentence. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the here it is again, Holy Spirit. Verse six, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom Israel? They're like kids on a road trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Which, by the way, if anybody, that's the second time Jesus has had to say that. And if anybody comes to you and tells you that they know the time and date, that it's all gonna happen, just smile and tell them to have a great day. (laughs) But you will receive power, get this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There is no natural explanation for why the church worked, but there is a supernatural one. What is it? The Holy Spirit. And so I've had about five different sermons to start this series in my head, but I just keep coming back to the Holy Spirit. I feel like before we go any further, we need to stop and spend the entire weekend talking about and understanding the Holy Spirit. And so I titled this message, Five Functions of the Holy Spirit. Five Functions of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be a lot more teaching maybe than, than what we're used to, but, but pay attention. Man, this stuff is so important and it's gonna help you this week. So Five Functions of the Holy Spirit. Before we jump into it, I wanna address three different people groups of people in the room. When I said, Holy Spirit, some of you went, let's go! About time, Pastor, you're like running out to your car to get your shofar. You know, like you're like ready for this. This is your topic, ready to roll. And to you, may I just say I'm with you. Uh, Absolutely, like 131 people, gave their life to Jesus last week in this place, 131. Now listen, that's not because we have great music, although our team is amazing. It's not because Doug preached a good sermon, although he's a phenomenal teacher. It's because the Holy Spirit was on the move. It's Because the Holy Spirit was drawing people to him and opening up hearts to to hear and understand the good news of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is everything. It's been that way from day one. And so for those of you who are like, let's go, man, I'm absolutely with you. Let's learn to walk and move in the supernatural. Here's my ask. I believe it's possible to be naturally supernatural, which is my nice way of saying don't be weird. Like, it's possible to walk in step with the Spirit without making it uncomfortable for people who are brand new to all of this. And if you don't believe me, go read the Gospels, because this was Jesus. Like, Like, he was always eating meals with people. Why? Because people wanted to be around him. He was normal, he was natural. And then he would turn around and like raise Lazarus from the dead. He did both. He was brilliant at both, and as a church, I want us to continue to move in the supernatural, but I want us to learn to be naturally supernatural. Because there's a second group of people in this room who heard Holy Spirit, and they started to get a little scared. Watching online, maybe you're about to turn this off right now because you go, oh man, I've heard this one before, and it's bringing up stories and memories of of times where, where you felt very uncomfortable in a situation of the, the more charismatic side of the body of Christ. And if that's you, um, I just wanna say two things. The first is this, I'm so sorry. Um, I have been uh, a part of of that. There's been times where I've, early on in the early days, just been so much zeal, youthful zeal, whatever it is, like, like let it. In, in like a worship thing happening in my living room and then waking up the next day, like that might've been, maybe we need to tone it down. The, like the, my point is we make mistakes. And um, if that's been your experience, I'm so sorry. Um, it's not fair, it's gotta be very confusing. And um, that's, that's it, all I, I got is, is I'm sorry. Let me also say number two, it was the imperfections of imperfect people like me that you were experiencing, not a perfect God. So the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the comforter, which means experiencing the Holy Spirit feels like comfort, feels like peace, feels like love, feels like joy. And so maybe just for the next few minutes, before you turn this off, before you, you walk out of here, you give it a shot as we go back to scripture and see what the Bible has to say about the Spirit. To be open to what the Holy Spirit may want to do in your life. The third group of people are in here going, the holy what? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. Who is the the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? Hey, you're my people. I got you today. Let's start right from the very beginning and the basics. First, the correct question is not what is the Holy Spirit? The correct question is who is the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is God. Now, you're thinking, wait, I thought God, like the Father was God. And last week, Doug said that Jesus is God. And now you're saying that the Holy Spirit is God? And the answer is yes. God is one in essence, three in person. The word that we have to try to explain this is the word Trinity. Maybe you've heard it before. Tri, three, like tricycle. Unity, one. Three coming together as one. Trinity. Uh, God, three In essence, one in person, as my friend Nabil Qureshi used to say, God is three, or I'm sorry, God is one in being, three in person. And so now if you are thinking, and you have your thinking cap on, the next question you're asking is, what's the difference between being and person? So glad you asked. I am a human being, in case you were wondering. When I say that, I'm, I'm talking about my mind, heart, skin, bones, lungs. I'm talking about what I am. When, we, when I say being, we're talking about whatness. But if you came to me and said, yeah, but Ryan, who are you as a person? I wouldn't say human being, planet Earth. Just be weird, right? When you say, who am I as a person? What, you, what you're asking, what the answer to that is, I'm Ryan Weckman. I'm a pastor, Bible teacher, writer, passionate about storytelling and trying to live a life of generosity and raising up a next generation of Jesus followers to the best of my ability. Like that's who I am as a person. You see the difference? Being is the whatness, person is the whoness. I think I'm just making up words that at this point. okay. We all, one in being, one in person. God is different than we are. God is one in being, three in person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It looks like this. Not that you can map this out on a chart, but this is the closest we can, we can get to. That, that God is one in being, one in essence, and yet three in persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, we call it, the Trinity. Now, if you're lost right now, don't worry. All I I want you to see for today is that the Holy Spirit is God. Francis Chan wrote a great book years ago called Forgotten God, where he makes a, a great case that we talk about the Father all the time, we talk about the Son all the time, but the Holy Spirit is often the forgotten person of the Trinity. And so as we preach, and as I explain all of this, and I'm gonna say the Holy Spirit lots of times today, no, I'm talking about God. And the presence of God used to dwell in temples in the Old Testament, but after the death and resurrection of Jesus and the events that took place in Acts chapter two that you'll read all about this week, Paul now writes in 1 Corinthians six that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit which means that we're not God, we're not God's, and yet God's spirit dwells within us. And that's really good news and really important. And now you may be thinking, okay, but what does that mean for me practically? So here we go, the five functions of the Holy Spirit. Number one is this, the Holy Spirit helps. The Holy Spirit helps. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, had his disciples together, in a back room and said some really important things starting in John 14. He says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. Hey, when Jesus gives you a nickname, it's really important. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper whom the Father will send in my name. By the way, look, there's the the Trinity right there. These are the things I get excited about. I'm a nerd, whatever you got the Holy Spirit, you've got Jesus talking, and you've got the Father right there. He will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. In two, two chapters later, John 16, seven, he says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Think about this for a second. This is a crazy thing Jesus is about to say. It's to your advantage that I'm leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is going, it's actually better this way. That's how good the Holy Spirit is at helping. And if that's true, then maybe it's time we start letting the helper help us. Like, look at Peter's story. We already talked about this. He, he goes from denying Jesus three times in front of a few people, to preaching so powerfully on, on day one that 3,000 people get saved and baptized. 3,000 people, how do you explain that? There's no natural explanation for it, only a supernatural one, and that is that the Holy Spirit is a really good helper. This is my story. I Listen, what I do for a career is incredibly ironic because I grew up being terrified of public speaking hating being in front of anybody. My least favorite class I ever took, sophomore year of high school, public speaking. It was the worst. Jerry Seinfeld has an old joke that that, um, public speaking is the number one fear and death is number two. So he points out that that means if you're at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. And I resonated with that, man. I wouldn't sleep the night before. I would be there at my desk shaking. Now, If I could go back and talk to 13-year-old Ryan, sitting at that desk, terrified to go give a silly speech in front of 20 classmates who aren't listening, I would say, hey, bud, kind of a good news, bad news situation going on. So um, might wanna get used to this because you're actually gonna grow up to be a pastor and do this pretty much every week. And 13-year-old Ryan would look at me and say, So you're telling me the NBA thing's not gonna pan out? (laughs) To which I would say, no, and I think deep down you know that. (laughs) But then I would tell 13 year old Ryan, hey buddy, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's gonna get a hold of your life and start to move some things uh, around internally internally and start to speak some identity over you and help you get rid of some of the stuff that, that doesn't need to be there. And you're actually going to learn how to do this in a very natural way or should we say a supernatural way? And so I love that because I can stand up here and this isn't difficult for me anymore. I love doing, I love every part of it, but I also love that backstory because every time I do this, I'm reminded of this was just me on my own. There's no chance, there's no chance it's happening. And if it did, it wouldn't be any good. This is the Holy Spirit helping me, just like the Holy Spirit wants to help you. I think it's just that we're really bad at asking for help sometimes. I, any, anybody else, maybe I'm just talking to the guys in the room, but like if I'm trying to get somewhere and my phone is dead, I'll just keep circling around for, for hours, waste so much gas looking for a place instead of stopping and asking somebody for some help. I don't know, I don't know what it is. What if the Holy Spirit right now is going, hey, I'm ready to help you with that situation you're going through with your, with your coworker. Hey, I'm ready to help you with that family member and that drama that, that you are experiencing. Hey, I'm ready to, to help you in this next life stage that you are walking into. The Holy Spirit is the helper. Let's let him help. All right, number two. The Holy Spirit also convicts. Jesus, right after he says um, that the helper is coming in John sixteen seven, the very next verse, John 16, eight, is, and he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will, what's that word? Convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Conviction is a beautiful gift from the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's reminder that he has more for us than what we're currently experiencing. It's just that it's become a bit of a cuss word for us because we have an enemy who loves to take God's good gifts and twist them. And so what the enemy will do is he'll take conviction, a good gift, and he'll twist it into condemnation. Conviction is that, that still small voice telling you you probably shouldn't do that next time. Condemnation is the enemy's lie to you that that action now disqualifies you from God's love. You see the difference? Hey, we go to war against condemnation. Romans 8, one is clear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My fear though is that we've thrown conviction out with the condemnation bathwater, and that in our attempt to outsmart the enemy, we've leapfrogged over what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. Conviction is actually a gift. Think about the prodigal son story. Son goes off and just tries to party and have a good time, wakes up one morning miserable, next to a bunch of pigs, so hungry, realizing that his lifestyle is not working, and there's this beautiful verse, Luke 15, 17, when he came to his senses. In other words, when the Holy Spirit convicts him. Hey, nobody reads that story and is like, what the heck, God? Just live and let live. Uh, Yeah, no, not when the lifestyle is leading them towards death, not when the lifestyle is robbing them of their joy and their love, and their, and their clarity in life, when that happens, you step in and, and you convict. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The condemnation is a lie, but the, the conviction is a gift. I wonder if there is, are a few things that the Holy Spirit is ready to gently correct you on this week, if you would be open to allowing the Holy Spirit to convict. For me, uh, this happens daily. I, uh, last Sunday, I was driving, uh, we had an awesome Sunday here, and then uh, I was driving up to Doug's for Easter dinner, and uh, a little pebble, I was on the highway, and the car in front of me, the pickup in front of me, uh, projected a pebble back at my windshield, and it cracked it. And as soon as it did, I went like this. I did one of these. And I felt in that moment the Holy Spirit Gentle conviction. And I started laughing because, like if you think about that, it's like, so what? I think that that guy driving that pickup truck to probably his Easter dinner, looked in his mirror and goes, oh, that's Ryan. Oh, I'm gonna get him. Oh, look, there's a little rock up ahead. If I speed over it at just the right speed, I can throw it back and get his windshield. Like I'm playing Mario Kart or something, you know? Of course, that's not what happened. Accidents just happen sometimes, okay? But I felt that conviction of the Spirit because uh, like, if you think about it, it's like the Holy Spirit's telling me, hey, bud, you don't wanna live your life thinking that everybody's out to get you all the time. It's not gonna lead to, to abundant life. And I laugh about it, shake it off, go on with my day. It'd be small, gentle things like that. Or it can be more serious, like three months ago, I woke up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., backstories for another day, some stuff going on. I woke up realizing, oh, there's something I have, to keep my integrity, there's, there's a, a way that I have to go, and a thing I have to say no to. And there's a person I need to call and apologize to. That I would call the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then I thought, yeah, but it's 3 a.m., I'm not gonna call him now. You know, let's get some some more sleep, we're fine, we'll take care of it tomorrow. That's beautiful conviction. The condemnation is what kept me awake until 6 a.m., just rolling around in bed, feeling like I just ruined everything. Do you see the difference? That condemnation is a lie from the enemy, but the conviction is a sweet, sweet invitation from the Spirit. I think one of the mistakes that we make is thinking that, that as soon as we raise our hand and put our faith in Jesus that we like have arrived and that we're good it's just not what the bible says the bible talks a lot more about how our hearts are like fixer-uppers like homes that need to be flipped and the holy spirit arrives and gets to work and how many know the first step of any fixer-upper is usually usually a lot of demolition and a lot of taking things out that aren't supposed to be there the holy spirit renovates our hearts and that conviction is a beautiful thing. The third thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit teaches. We already read in John 16 about how the Holy Spirit's going to teach us. I love Second Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. This is what we speak not in words taught us by human wisdom. My goodness. But in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. All week, Doug and Ethan and I have been talking and praying about this series, and the question is not, hey, what are your ideas? As we all have a million ideas all the time, who cares about our ideas? We wanna hear what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to the church. And so the question is, hey, do you get a sense at all of where the Holy Spirit is leading this? Let's press in. We don't want these to be our words up here. We want these to be spirit-taught words that we're sharing with you. Did you know you have the same invitation on the table to say, Holy Spirit, would you teach me how to speak with spirit-taught words? It's a phenomenal prayer to pray when you're heading into school tomorrow. Lord, would you teach me how to speak today with spirit-taught words? So you're heading into the workplace. That conversation that I'm gonna have to have with my coworker, I want it to be spirit-taught words. When you're trying to talk to your kid and you're trying to figure out how to get through to them, Holy Spirit, would you teach me how to communicate with my child with some spirit-taught words? The Holy Spirit wants to teach us just that we need to make room for the teacher to teach. Here's an easy way to think about it. When you uh, first start out, everybody has a, a plan for their lives. You have a will. There's your will and then there's God's will. And this is why like early on, lots of prayer requests sound more like, like uh, wishes from a genie you know, because it's just you you're thinking about your will and your plan and your kingdom and asking God to like, like step in and, and help you out a little bit. When, when Doug and I were super young, we got really into um, macaws for a little bit, like the bird, like a blue and gold macaw. Passionate about it. And so we would sit in our bunk beds late at night and pray, God, I pray in the morning there would be a blue and gold macaw. We loved them and then we'd wake up and we'd run down the stairs like it's Christmas morning, looking around like, God, we prayed for it. Where's the bird? And here's the the ridiculous thing about that. Those birds lived to be like 90 years old. Think about that. We were passionate about them for like nine days. That means today, 30 years later, we'd still have 60 years left with the bird. In other words, I'm so glad that God didn't grant that wish. Said differently, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Someone should write a country song about that. Here's what starts to happen though as we start to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us, is that the Spirit wants to teach us about God's will, plans that God has for your life. And as you do, there starts to be a lot more overlap between what you want and what God wants. And that's where prayers start to be answered because you, you start to, to be asking for the, same, the very thing that God wants to be doing in and through your life anyways. And it's a process to get there, but the Holy Spirit will teach us how to get there. David, King David, the man after God's own heart, wrote this at the end of his life, Psalm 37, four. One of my favorite verses, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So often we want the second part. Oh, God will give us the desires of our heart. God will give us everything we want. And we forget about the first part. It starts by, by spending time with God and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us about the plans that God has for your life. And as that starts to happen, the overlap begins. And it's just, I can say with confidence that uh, God's plan is always better. Has For me, has always been better than, than my plan. It's just how it works, man, but it takes a lot of surrender. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. We're doing okay? The last two will be quick. Number four, the Spirit gives gifts. This Holy Spirit gives good gifts. Spiritual gifts is a whole topic that we could, we could spend a, an entire day on. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 is a great starting point if you wanna learn more. But gifts, spiritual gifts, are enablements of the Spirit that allow us to do things easily that, that are very difficult for other people. So if you start to, to notice that you're really good at doing certain things, and most of your friends have a very difficult time doing that, it's a good indication that it's probably a spiritual gift, something that the Spirit is teaching you. That's one of the things we're passionate about around here and one of the reasons we ask you to go to the welcome party like Ethan will talk about in a few minutes next week and get plugged in and start serving around here is we want to help you practice and find and identify and cultivate these gifts that God has given you so that you can use them here and then use them in, in the world throughout the rest of your week. This is a Holy Spirit thing. Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are different, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. In verse seven, jump down he says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message. He says this, God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is, everyone gets in on it, everyone benefits. That's why we title this series, We the Church, not Me the Church. This is is about the body of Christ coming together, each with our own gifts that the Spirit gives us, to work together as one body to move the kingdom of heaven forward. And by the way, just so you know, when I say that, I'm not just talking about Red Rocks. I'm talking about Celebration Church. I'm talking about Gateway. I'm talking about Austin Stone. I'm talking about Capital City Church. We are the church. Together as one, trying to reach and love a city, a state, a country, and the entire world. The more you make room for the Spirit of God to work in your life, the more you'll start to see the gifts of the Spirit become a reality for you, which takes us to our fifth and final point, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers. I don't know about you, but there have been so many times in my life where I've felt like God is calling me to do something, and I just, I go, uh-uh, uh uh-uh, can't do it, not ready, not qualified, and the response is always, yeah, that's kind of the point. That's why you need the qualifier. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to empower you. Go back to Acts 1.8 real quick. Remember what Jesus said, but you will receive what? Power. The Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of The earth. So I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what battles you are fighting today, but I do know that the Holy Spirit knows, cares deeply about you, and wants to empower you, wants to go with you and step into this next season of your life right alongside you. Problem is so often we just Don't make any room for the Spirit to do it. Mackenzie said this at a a renew night a few months ago. She said, so often I feel like we approach God like we're we're having a really important conversation with a friend, you know, and it's like, hey, I've got a big question for you, job opportunity coming up over here, but I don't know if I should leave this job here. Do you have any thoughts? And then we go, (laughs) right? It's like we pray and then we just go right back to our phones. We pray and we go right back to Netflix. We pray and we go right back to our food. We pray and we go right back to whatever we're doing. Every generation has uh, uh, their own unique battles to face and challenges that they have to overcome. One of ours is we're so distracted. And let's be real, we all have the entire world in our pocket, our phone. Thanks, Steve Jobs. I'm kidding, call, call back. I'm thankful for it. It's a tool that can be used for the kingdom. It's also doing a lot of damage. Friday, I was on a walk uh, on a trail back behind my house and uh, there's never anybody else on this trail. There was a guy about a hundred yards ahead of me and he was just walking like this. And no judgment, I do it too. We're all in the same boat here but he's walking like this and I see him from 100 yards out and I know, I know immediately, I know exactly how this is gonna pan out. 50 yards away, still hasn't looked up. He's just, I started thinking like, should I like, hey, just so you know, I'm also here, this is gonna be awkward. 20 yards away, 10 yards away, three yards away and finally I'm in his eyesight as he's looking down and he just goes like this, ah! Shouts so loud. And then he says, what the heck, man? And I told him, I go, hey, man, that's not on me. You gotta look up. My point is we're all addicted to our phones. And it's making it very, very difficult for us to be discipled by the Holy Spirit because we'd rather be discipled by a Silicon Valley algorithm. And and I... Just have this sense, we're gonna do this in just a second, that the more space we create in this place, watching online, wherever you're at right now, the more space we create in our lives to let the Holy Spirit speak to us, the more we'll begin to experience the power that is the Holy Spirit and and the help that is the helper and the teaching that is the teacher and the gifts that come from the Spirit and that deep, gentle conviction that is such a gift, needed and necessary gift. And so um, I am am gonna get out of the way and we're gonna sing a song. And as we do, I wanna invite you to maybe for the first time, just invite the Spirit to do the five things that we've been talking about all day in your life. Whichever one stuck out to you, maybe it's conviction. Holy Spirit, is there some conviction that, that you need to give me? I'm here and I'm open for to it. Holy Spirit, is there some teaching that you need to do? Holy Spirit, are there some gifts you wanna give me? Holy Spirit, is there some, some power, some enabling power that you want to help me with? Because here's the deal, this is just week one of We the Church. We got a lot of ground to cover. And um, we've got a lot that we need to talk about, but it all comes back to allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So you guys stand to your feet with me. Let's read the last three verses in Acts 1. After verse 8, it's Acts 9. Acts 1 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is Jesus ascending into heaven. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Or the 2023 translation, why do you keep staring at your phone? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, we live in this in-between time where Jesus has already ascended into heaven, but before Jesus comes, back to restore all things. And in this middle time, it is our job to build the church. But let's be real, it's not always easy. And that's the whole point. Have to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us. And so Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Holy Spirit, would you give us the gifts that we need? Holy Spirit, would you convict us where we need to be convicted? Holy Spirit, would you empower us? and help us move forward this week. In this time, during this song, we fix our attention and our affection to you, Father. Be here now, we pray in Jesus' name.